0: Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your presence, that you're just wanting to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you're just wanting to meet with us, that your greatest desire is to commune with us, Father. So, Lord God, we thank you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace and that we can come into your presence with joy and that we can bring all of our stuff, all of our challenges even if we don't have anything that's waiting us down, Lord God, that we can just come into your presence and be free. So, Father, we thank you for that. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you with greater clarity, Lord. That we would see the truth of who you are and the truth of what your word says about us and who we are, Lord God. So, Father, we pray that you will... Speak to us this morning that you will open our ears to hear your small, still voice speaking to our hearts, God, that most importantly, that you would open our heart to receive everything that you have for us this morning. And so we pray all these things with expectation that we will walk away changed today because we've encountered you. We continue to encounter you in worship and through the word, your word is spoken to our hearts. So, Father, we pray these things with expectation in Jesus' name you may be seated. This time I'd like to release the warrior youth. You guys are released to go back. How is everyone doing this morning? All right. Good. Glad to hear that. Well, thank you for joining us today and thank you for entering into worship. We're so glad to have you here and it's a great, uh, it's a great day. So you're looking good too. I um, we're gonna to go to a couple of passages of scripture. We're going to be going to Isaiah fifty-five, verses eight and nine, and then Hebrews chapter six, one through six. So if you have your smartphones or your tablets or whatever, you may want to begin to to turn there. This topic of salvation is basic to our relationship with the Lord. However, I haven't heard a lot of teachings in churches about salvation, and so I wanted to teach on this for a few weeks, and this series is designed to help us understand what salvation is and how that relates to us, but also how is it that we can share what salvation is with other people that we, that we work with and our peers and our neighbors and things like that. And so it's, a, it's important that we understand these biblical truths, but also that we're able to be equipped to God and share that important foundational truth with others. And I want to just briefly talk about what this series has looked like over the past few weeks. And on uh, July 27th, we talked about what is salvation. Uh, let me stop here and say that if you've missed any of these teachings, I really encourage you to go back and listen to them. Because I think they will help you. Even if you were here, it's helpful to go back and maybe listen to these teachings again. To just really get it down in us. Every Sunday when I go home, I edit the audio for the web. And I watch the DVD that we make. And it's helpful for me to go back and listen to those again. And I get more out of it as I continue to listen to these sermons. So I encourage you to do the same thing. So on July 27th, we talked about what is salvation. And these are a couple of definitions that we came up with. Salvation is God's deliverance of a people or an individual from a threatening situation from which that group or person is unable to rescue itself, to be delivered. God has delivered us. God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And Dave, a couple of weeks later, used this definition, deliverance from the power and effects of sin. Through this series, we've talked about Why do we need to be saved? What is salvation? On the 3rd of August, we talked about why do we need to be saved. Did God make us defective? And we talked about that. No. It's the effects of sin that Adam and Eve brought into all of humanity. Then on the 10th of August, we talked about how are we saved? Dave talked about that. He did a great job on teaching on that. There's one way, straight up, through Christ, through Christ alone. Last week, we talked about are we secure in our salvation? And uh, yes, we are secure in our salvation because we are responding to God's free gift for us. We're simply receiving. Are we sure that we cannot lose our salvation? Yes, we cannot. <laughs> I don't know that's good grammar, but we cannot lose our salvation. And this morning I want to talk about something that something else. Uh, can we give our salvation away? Okay, we cannot lose it. Can we give it away? And I want to talk a little bit about this because, again, the goal is that we're equipped that when we go out into the workforce and we get these questions about salvation, how will we answer those? Do we know? And, again, I don't recall ever hearing a teaching on this topic about can we give our salvation away? I wanted to teach on this last week, but I had so much to cover, I knew I couldn't get to it. And, and frankly, I was just going to move on. But I really felt like the Lord was saying, no, I want you to stop here. And I want you to talk about this because we need to know. We have established that we cannot lose our salvation. Let me be very, very, very clear about that. We cannot lose our salvation. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. We cannot earn or work to receive our salvation. It's only through the free gift of Christ that we are saved. That's it. Being saved, my first point this morning is I want to talk about what is being saved. Just reiterate, being saved or receiving salvation means that we've been forgiven of all of our sins and we will live forever with God. That's what salvation means. That's what being saved means. We've talked about this before too. We are spiritual beings encased in a physical body. Our spirit will live on forever. However, these physical bodies, some of them are starting to decay already a little bit. But as we die, these physical bodies will return to dust. I want to talk about Jeremiah. I didn't tell you to go to the scripture, but if you want to go to Jeremiah chapter 1. God talks to Jeremiah and he says, I knew you before you were even formed in the womb. And God speaking to Jeremiah gives him this message in Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. The Lord is is speaking to Jeremiah, and uh, he gives him this message. In verse 5, he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And we can read throughout the Bible where God talks about us. Maybe not specifically. He doesn't mention our specific name, but he talks about that we are his prized possession above all things, and that he loves us deeply, and he has great plans for us. And so God's word talks about all of us. But he's talking to Jeremiah, and he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I want to go back to talk a little bit about some of the things that I talked about last week. Last week, I talked briefly on Calvinism, which I believe to be an error. Uh, Calvinism implies that we do not have a choice in whether we're saved or not, that it's already been predetermined. Now, why would I be talking about this? Because you may run into people that believe this, that are Calvinist. And probably you will not run into a Calvinist that's a new believer. These are usually people that have been walking with the Lord for a while. So generally you won't have a, a, a discussion with a new believer about Calvinism. But again, this is to equip us to be able to understand what we believe and why we believe it. This scripture could be a scripture that the Calvinists would turn to and say, see, God has already chosen Jeremiah. He didn't have a choice. But if you read on, well, let me read this, this passage in verse 5 again. I knew you before I formed you in, the, in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nation. So Calvinists could say, well, see, you know, he was already chosen. He was already appointed, and he didn't have a choice. But I don't believe that's correct. If you look at verse 6, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but Jeremiah 1, 6 through 19, Jeremiah replies to God and says, but God, I'm too young. I'm too young to be a prophet. And the Lord reaffirms to Jeremiah by telling him, you're not too young. I've called you. Listen, if God has called you, he will anoint you and he will give you the tools that you need to do his will and and what he's called you to do. The Lord tells Jeremiah not to be afraid. He says, I'll go with you. I will protect you. If you read on in Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord tells Jeremiah what he's to tell the people. He says, this is what I want you to tell the people. Now I want you to go as my prophet because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. And so I see this as an encouragement to Jeremiah. I don't see this as necessarily predetermining that Jeremiah is going to do this. God is saying, hey, Jeremiah, I had this plan for you long ago. You can do it, man. Go for it. And so when we begin to look at the Word of God, there's encouragement for all of us that the Lord is saying, hey, you can do it. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. So any challenge that you're going through, you can make it because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so I believe that this is an encouragement to Jeremiah to go forth and do what, he's, what the Lord wants him to do. And he's saying, you can do it. I'm with you. And I, I think I shared this last week, but if you were to look at all of eternity... From the standpoint of a movie, your life may be one or two little frames in that entire movie. And God has seen the entire movie. And so he knows the decisions that you're going to make. He knows how the, how the movie ends up, if, as it were. And so God knows the choices that we're going to make. It doesn't mean that he has called some to be saved and, and others to be not saved. It's that God knows the decisions and the choices that we make. God is for us. And I believe that he knows... Everything and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as I was preparing for this message I thought about Matthew 28 18 through 20 and you guys have heard the scripture quoted numerous times Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me therefore What go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teach These new disciples shall obey all that I've taught you and know that I'll be with you till the ends of the age. So if God had already determined who would be saved, why would Jesus be telling us in Matthew 28, 19 to go and make disciples? What difference would it make? If God already has chosen the ones that are going to be saved, it wouldn't matter. Why would Jesus tell us to go and make disciples? So as I explained last week, God is outside of time. He's omnipresent. Listen, I I don't understand that. I, I can't wrap my brain around that. But he is outside of time. Let's go to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And the Lord says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Verse 9. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When you go back to Genesis chapter 1, we read that God spoke things into existence. I can't even begin to understand that. There are a lot of things that I can't comprehend. I can't comprehend living for all of eternity. I mean, I I just can't. And when you think about God speaking everything into existence, that would be like you leaving here today, you go home, and you say, honey, what what would you like for lunch? She says, you know what I like. My favorite meal is a T-bone steak. And you say, T-bone steak. And it would just plop out on the platter. I mean, that's what God did. He spoke everything into existence. I can't begin to comprehend that. And so, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. We can't begin to understand or comprehend the things of God. Not all the things. I mean, we can understand some things, but there are some things that we just can't understand. And he says, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I can't imagine speaking forth a T-bone steak. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I can give you multiple scriptures that would indicate we have a choice in choosing God. But let me just say that it's our choice to receive him. Let's go to Hebrews 11, chapter 6. And this is the faith chapter. It's always a good chapter to read, Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about the mighty men and women of faith and how God worked through their lives. But eleven six 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Okay, so if God has already chosen who would be saved, what would be the point of wanting to come to him? Let's look at the scripture again. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. Oh Well, hello, let's start there. We have to believe that God exists before we can come to him, right? And then it goes on to say, and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So the other part of this scripture is that we need to be reminded that God is going to bless us and that he rewards us for those who diligently seek him. Are you walking in the blessings of God? Do you see the blessings of God in your life as you yield your life to him and you commit your life to him? Do you see God working in your life? And so we have to be looking for those things. And I use this word cautiously, but be expecting God's blessings. But listen, God's word says that he wants to bless us. So why would we not be expecting him to bless us? So if God had already chosen who would be saved, what what would be the point of wanting to come to him? What would our choices matter? So our relationship with God is a choice that we make. Once we receive him, we typically choose how much time we're going to spend with him. You have that choice of of whether you want to spend time with him. Not as a religious exercise, oh, I have to spend 15 minutes in prayer today. It's a drudgery. No, it's not about that. It's about having that authentic relationship with him where we desire to get into that place of worship or spending time with him. And so it's our choice. Those are our choices that we spend time with him. Those are our choices that we receive him into our life. However, let me say this. I do believe God is actively reaching out to us because he desires to be in relationship with us. The word says that creation testifies of God. Have you ever been out on your back patio and you look at the sunset and you're like, ah, that is so gorgeous. It's so beautiful. There must be a God up there. Creation testifies of the greatness of God. And so God is looking to reach into our life and build a relationship with us. And then as we come to him, he begins to pour out his Holy Spirit into our life to commune with us and lead us. Jesus said, I go that the Holy Spirit may come and lead you and guide you into all truth. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And so as we yield our life to God and we begin to hear that small, still voice speaking to our hearts stronger and stronger, We make a stronger connection with him. It's a relationship, guys, just like your relationship with your family or your spouse. Uh, And so as we spend time with the Lord, we get to know him. So my first point is being saved or receiving salvation means we have been forgiven of all of our sins and we will live forever with God. The second point this morning is God desires everyone to be saved and have a relationship with him. So I believe that it's clear that we make the determination to give our life to Christ. I typically don't share a lot of my opinions with you guys because I want to give you the Word of God God's Word is much more important than any opinion so when I'm teaching you a Bible study or whatever we want to give you the Word of God not our opinions but there are things that Bible scholars debate back and forth and Calvinism is one and so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that today and you can go back to last week and listen I talked about some there as well but I want you to be equipped When somebody says, well, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if you accept Christ. Everybody's going to heaven. Well, that's not the Word of God says. There are people out there that are teaching things that are in error to the Word of God. There are universalists that say, well, it doesn't matter. Well, the Word says that there is one way to, to God, and that's through Christ. One way, not multiple ways. And so we want you to be equipped. The return of the Lord is going to happen the Lord is going to come for his church. This is another area where there's debate among scholars. And I want to talk about this for a moment, too. The Bible is clear that Jesus is returning. And scholars don't really debate that. They, they all agree that the Lord is coming back. But they do debate when he's coming back. And if you've read in the Bible, you can read uh, in Daniel and, and there are other accounts where the Bible talks about a seven-year tribulation. This tribulation will be a terrible time, and it's going to begin when Israel signs a treaty. And so there's going to be this tribulation period. And the Bible's really clear about that, so scholars aren't really debating about that. But there is debate about when is the Lord coming back. And I've heard preachers on TV multiple times talk about, well, the Lord is coming back for his church before the tribulation begins. Before all this terrible time begins, that's when the Lord is coming back. And so those people are called pre-trib, pre-tribulation. They believe the return of the Lord is coming pre or prior before the, uh, the tribulation begins. Then there are some scholars, because the Bible talks about in this seven-year period that three and a half years into this period, the Antichrist is going to set himself up on the throne as God. And so some scholars believe, That the Lord will come at that point at that juncture three and a half years into the this seven-year tribulation period So those are called mid-trip All right, and then there's some people that believe That the Lord will come after the seven-year tribulation. So they're called post-trip There's debate on when is the Lord coming back. I don't know I have an idea and and you can go back and you can read through scripture And you can find scriptures where it can see, well, yeah, this looks like maybe the Lord is coming back pre-trib or mid-trib or or post-trib. One day we will know, but tribulation is a non-critical issue. I mean, whenever he comes back, he's coming back, right? That shouldn't change our intention to build our relationship with him. I have uh, an opinion on when I think that's going to, to happen, when I think the Lord is coming back, but it doesn't really matter. I jokingly say that I'm pan trib. I'm not pre, mid, or post. I'm pan, however it pans out. So so we'll see. One day. One day I'll let you know, okay? One day we'll all know. Tribulation is a non-critical issue, and there are critical issues. There are non-critical issues. Some of the critical issues are Jesus is God, okay? We need to all believe that. That's what the Word says. We need to understand that Jesus died for all of our sins. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Those are critical issues. When the Lord comes back, that's really a non-critical issue. The timing of when Jesus returns is not critical to our belief. Let me say this. I hope, I hope that Jesus comes back pre-trip. You know, who wants to go through a time of tribulation and trial? I don't think anybody does because the Bible talks about that terrible time. I don't think anybody wants to go through that. But let's be prepared and strong in our relationship in case we do have to go through something. If we do have to go through tribulation, let's make sure that our faith is strong there was a lady that I used to work with. She was strong pre-trib. She said, hey, the Lord's coming back, and I'm ready for him to come back, and he's going to come back before the tribulation happens. And she was so focused on that. I was like, Cheryl, what are you doing to impact the world around you now? It almost seemed like she, just wanted, she was ready to get her, her ticket punched and move on. You know, listen, God has placed you in the neighborhoods and the workplaces and uh, the communities that he's placed you in so you can make a difference so that you can build your relationship with the Lord, but also so you can show others the love of Christ. It's not about just waiting to get our our ticket punched and then go to heaven. Come on. God has given us great opportunity. There are a lot of people in your life that don't know the Lord. And what are you doing to share the love of Christ with those people? Last Sunday, someone made a comment about once saved, always saved. They said, well, I see people and they say that they're saved, but they don't live like it. What about that? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I cannot definitively answer who is saved and who is not saved. Now, we can begin to look at fruit. There are things that we can look at in our lives as an indicator. But what type of spiritual fruit is in our life? I mean, are we loving God? Are we, do we have a real, real relationship with him? Again, it's not about jumping through hoops and performing. It's not about religion. It's about our relationship. In Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The things that should be evident in our life as Christians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those fruit evident in our life? Um, The Bible says that they'll know that you're disciples of Christ by the love that you have for one another. Are you demonstrating love to one another? Are you sharing love? Are are you living a Christ-like life? Again, please, please understand, I'm not talking about performing. I'm not talking about jumping through a bunch of hoops. I'm talking about an authentic relationship with God. Because as God gets a hold of our heart and as we begin to build that relationship with Him, there are going to be changes in our life that are going to be evident. Are we living a life that indicates we have a relationship with the Lord? It's really a matter of the heart. I believe only God can evaluate our heart. I want to go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17:9 17, and 10, the Lord tells Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Verse 10, but I the Lord search the hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Have you ever misunderstood someone's heart you think that somebody really loves you and then they break your heart or they do something and All exterior would say that they really had a heart for you or whatever that may be but then their actions show something else so God only God can really look into our heart now I, I believe that Not everybody has a wicked heart. I believe that there are people that have good hearts But only God can really tell the motivations and and the driving force behind people. And it says in verse 10, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Okay, so God is not talking about salvation as a reward. He's not talking about that. We already know that we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works. But I will give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so God is looking at our heart. You know what? We can fake other people out. But God is so wanting to have a relationship with us that he's looking at our heart. And so as we yield our life to God, God begins to work in those areas of our life. Am I the only one that God's working in their life? Come on. So God is looking at our hearts and he's reaching in and he's saying, hey, let me help you with this. That rejection that you've been suffering from for decades, I want to begin to restore you back to health. I want you to understand what my word says about you, that I don't reject you. Your earthly father may have rejected you, but I love you. That woundedness, whatever those things may be. So God begins to work in our life to bring health and healing and wholeness to us and restore us back into a proper relationship with him and one another. Because that's his heart, guys. He loves us that much. And if your child or your grandchild was struggling, wouldn't you reach out and help them and say, listen, honey, come on, that's not good for you. I know you want to eat 18 pounds of jelly beans, but that's not going to be good for you. So let's put those away. So God is looking at our heart, and and he's going to reward us. The Bible talks about one day we will receive rewards, primarily because we've been obedient, because we have done the things that he asked us to do. That's different than salvation, okay? Salvation and rewards are two different things. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. I mean, it can't get much clearer than that. God saved you by his grace when you what? Believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a what? A gift from God. Verse 9. Salvation is what? What? not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. Oh, I'm a good person, so you know I'm going to get salvation. I'm going to be saved. No, we're saved by grace. So salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast. Now, we just read that God said that he's going to reward us, right? So he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about obedience, the things that... Listen, God has called me to be a pastor, all right? And so I'm doing what God has called me to do. And if I just follow him and do what he asked me to do, there's going to be rewards. Think about people that are missionaries, that have given everything. You know the missionaries that that we support that have been here a few times. They're taking their children into life-threatening situations to share the love of Christ. Do you think God is going to reward them for that? Because they're being obedient. Now, if God hasn't called you to be a missionary, don't go be a missionary because he hasn't called you to do that. But if he's called you to be whatever you are, to do whatever he's called you to do, then just go and do that. And as we obey God and we do what he's asked us to do, then he will reward us and he will give us more. So salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Say, I'm God's masterpiece. Okay, say it like you mean it. I'm God's masterpiece. masterpiece. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has great plans for you. He has great plans for you. God created you with good things in mind that you would have an awesome, authentic, honest relationship with him. That's one of the things. That you would walk in the fullness of life that Christ came to give us. That you would be free from addictive behaviors and destructive, ungodly behaviors. That you would be spiritually healthy. That you would live a spiritually healthy life. That you would have a great marriage. Those are some of the things that God desires for you. God wants to bless your life. God loves you and he wants to bless you. We cannot lose our salvation because we didn't do anything to earn it. We simply receive it. So I want to be very clear about this. We cannot lose our salvation. But here's a question that I want you to think about. Can we give our salvation away? Have you ever, oh, okay, let me say this first. Husbands and wives, look at me. Do not look at your spouse, okay? Has there been anybody in your household that has ever lost their car keys or their eyeglasses? (laughs) Sometimes people have a, a habit of that. Look at me. Don't look at your spouse. Okay. Have you ever lost something though? Okay. We all have. Normally it's an accident to lose something, right? We don't intend on losing something. It just happens. But what about giving something away? That's a different matter, right? Losing something is normally accidental. Giving something away is generally intentional. Delivered. It's a deliberate choice. Here, I give you this gift certificate to this restaurant. Someone gave it to me for Uh, Christmas or my birthday I want to give it to you or here's a hundred dollars I want you to go buy you some new clothes or whatever. That's giving something away. That's a deliberate choice There's a a church that we went to for a few years in Corpus Christi When Christine and I first got saved and when we were first married and it was a it was a good little church And we left there after seven or eight years and we went to what we consider our home church now Corpus Christi Christian Fellowship And sometime after we had been gone, the pastor that was there uh, at this first church that we went to, he went on to another church, and and they brought in another pastor. I don't know all the transitions that happened, but at some point in time, they brought in a pastor. And from what I understand, he only taught out of the Old Testament. He never talked about Jesus. He never taught in the New Testament. He only taught Old Testament Bible. And at some point in time, from what I understand, and this is a Christian church, right? He renounces faith in Christ. He said, I no longer believe that Christ is the Savior, the Messiah. I renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, consequently, I mean, since it was a Christian church, that created all kinds of problems. And, of course, he left, and they had to bring in another pastor. But can a person renounce their commitment and faith in Christ? Can a person do that? I think so. And some might say, well, they were never saved. You know, if they were really saved, they couldn't renounce their faith. I'm not so sure about that. How would we know what someone's heart is, the intent of someone's heart? Think about this. When Christ was here 2,000 years ago, did people reject him? (laughs) Think about today. Are people still rejecting Christ? That's a choice. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews was written to Hebrews um, that had become Christians, and they had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. At the end, and you can go back and read this. I'm not going to read all this today, but you can go back to chapter 5, and you can begin to read. Keep in mind, when we read these books in the Bible, in in the New Testament, they are letters that are written. So we see chapter 1, chapter 2 chapter 3 5 6 or whatever. Well, these were letters. So when they were written, they didn't have verses and chapters and subtitles and all that. So the writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter 5 is explaining to these Christians that they need to grow up spiritually. That they need to become mature believers. That they in in the NLT it says they have become spiritually dull. And so the writer is encouraging these Hebrews to grow up in their faith. The writer goes on to say they should be teaching others, but they're still being taught the basic things of the faith. They're not growing up spiritually. Okay, chapter 6. Let's read chapter 6. So, verse 1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. We are deliberate about teaching you the Word of God. It starts with our children back there. We're deliberate in teaching you the Word of God so that you have clear understanding of the Word and what the Lord is saying to us. We lay the foundation and continue to build on that solid foundation. Listen, guys, it begins with if we don't understand that God really loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, we can't build anything beyond that. And so we have to understand that. And so what we're doing in our children back there is giving them the Word of God. We're telling them, we're showing them how much God loves them so that we can begin to build on those foundations. And so they talk about, they teach on back there the basic Bible stories so our children will know those things so that they can learn and grow. As they get to senior high, Christine is really pouring into those guys back there. They're learning the Word of God. They're becoming strong warriors for Christ. But we have to get the basic foundational truths before we can add to those things. Let us go on and sit and become mature in our understanding. It continues, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Those are basic foundational truths that we need to repent. God, I give my life to you. I repent of my sins. I ask forgiveness for all my sins. I invite you into my life. I put my faith in you, placing our faith in God. Hebrews 6.2, you don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We shouldn't have to be going over those things. We should be understanding those things. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Hebrews 6.4, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. Let's look at 4 and 5 again. For it's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened filled with the Holy Spirit, had experienced the Holy Spirit, have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, and who turn away from God. And who what? And who turn away from God. So you see that there's a progression here. But they have turned away from God. I believe that this would have to be a calculated heart decision. Like that pastor stood up in the pulpit and said, I renounce my faith in Christ. I'm no longer a Christian. I don't believe that Jesus is God. I'm renouncing all of that. I think that's what's going on here. I don't think it can be simply that uh, a casual remark. I don't think it can be, well, I said a cuss word or I fell off the wagon or I did something. Again, it's not about our performance. I think this has to be something that has to be really uh, calculated and a heart decision. It's not a casual remark that that you can make. Have you ever, uh, for those of you that have teenagers, or maybe you remember when you were a teenager, you would want to go to a party or your teen wants to go to a party and you say, no, you're not going there. They're going to be drinking. They're going to probably be drugs there. You can't go. I hate you. I hate you. I wish you were my mom. I wish you were my dad. I wish I had a different name. You'd know that they're just spouting off they're just mad and they probably really don't mean that especially when it comes mealtime and they're ready to eat right they'll show up at the dinner table so i don't see this as i'm mad at god listen have you ever been mad at god i have let's be honest here god can handle it i promise you he can handle it there have been times when i've been upset with god god really what's going on why why is this happening And so we want to have a real and authentic relationship with the Lord. And so this is not about, you know, us having a bad hair day and and getting mad at God. This is something much greater than that. All who turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Christ has already come and died for all of our sins. And so this would be like saying, well, okay, I received it. Now I'm changing my mind. Now I want to come back. Let's nail him to the cross again. It can't happen. And so I think the Bible is clear that we cannot do anything to lose our salvation. Let me say that again. The Bible is clear we cannot do anything to lose our salvation. Ah, I fell off the wagon I started drinking again. Oh, I had an affair. Oh, I, I stole money. I embezzled money from my company or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. We cannot lose Our salvation God can restore us God can bring health and wholeness to us we we need to take the money back if you stole money take it back you need to apologize maybe whatever but listen we're saved by grace through faith when we believe not of our good works that anyone should be able to boast okay or are we clear with that okay so we cannot lose our salvation. However, I believe we can choose to walk away from God. And some people, I, I talked to some people about this pastor, and, and they said, well, he wasn't saved anyway. I don't know that. I mean, how do, how do you know that? How can you know a person's heart? All that we know is we see the fruitfulness that happened. He, he came back and said, I renounce my faith in Christ. Let's go to James chapter 5. I didn't give you this one. You've got smartphones anyway. Come on, you just scroll down. You know, I don't know if that's good. I, I like using a Bible because it forces us to, to be able to find stuff in the Bible. So if you're, if you're looking for James, it's right after Hebrews, which is where we were reading. Okay, so James chapter 5, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back. Wait a minute. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back wait a minute, I thought we just said, let me ask you this, is there a difference between wandering away and choosing to walk away? I think there is. Have you ever been camping, and maybe you, you find a little trail, and you say, hey, I'm going to go go down this trail, so you start going down this trail, and you see this bird that you want to check out, so you go kind of get off the trail, and you're going over here, and next thing you know, a uh, half an hour later, you're like, Man, I, I don't know where I am I got off that little trail that really wasn't a trail Now I'm lost That's wandering away That's different than being at the campsite And saying, you know what, I'm done, I'm leaving I'm out of here, I'm gone You see the difference? One, you just kind of wandered away you can, We can get distracted in our, our Christian walk We can get distracted from the Lord And that's why we encourage you to come on Sunday morning That's why we encourage you to come to Bible study on Wednesday To stay plugged in because, listen, guys, there's all kinds of things that will distract us from the Lord. you know that? Come on. Every day, there's things that will try to distract us. And so, we're not talking about just getting, off the, getting away from the campsite and wandering away. We're talking about making a conscious decision by saying, I'm done with this thing. It's done and over with. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and it's brought back, it goes on to say, in verse 20, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Listen, there have been a lot of people that I've talked to that have wandered from the faith, that I've shared the love of Christ with, and, and they begin to plug back in or they begin to build that relationship with, with the Lord. And so you have that, that same opportunity. There are people that you work with that are probably on the fence. Or I was talking with a guy last week. He called me up, and, and he's having some problems, some marital problems, and I begin to talk with him and share with him and try to help him. You know, we all have that opportunity to share the hope of Christ and reach out to those people that are hurting. Because maybe they were in church, but they got burned or something happened, and they said, you know what, I'm done with church. And maybe God has placed them in your path so that you can restore the hope of Christ to them and say, listen, you know what that pastor did or what that person did was wrong. That's wrong. But not all churches are like that. And don't let, don't let one person keep you from what God has for you. Listen, I've had a bad steak, but I'm not going to quit eating steak. And so I'm not going to walk away from God because some knucklehead did something stupid or failed me, or hurt me, come on. I'm not going to let that destroy my relationship with Christ. We have the opportunity to restore people back. The word says that we're called to the gospel of reconciliation. Being reconciled to Christ, but also one another. And also helping to reconcile those, those other people around us to Christ as well. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is about our relationship with him and then bringing health and healing to these other relationships. Do you have any damaged relationships in your families or friends or neighbors or anything like that? So God wants to restore those relationships as well. So we're called to the gospel of reconciliation. So you can be sure, James 5.20, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Some people just wander off the path. Hey, come over here. Man, you're lost. You're out there in the jungle. Come on back over here. Let me, let me help you get to the campsite. Come, go over this way. Get on that trail. Come, come back this way. So God will use us to do those kinds of things. My first point is being saved or receiving salvation means we have been forgiven of all of our sins and will live forever with God. My second point is God desires everyone to be saved and have a relationship with Him. My third point is choose Him. It's a choice we make. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. Choose life, not death. Choose blessings, not curses. And this is the key to your life. Love God, obey God, commit firmly to Him. So it's a choice we make. And what are the choices that you're making? You know, I have never seriously considered this. I've never sat here and said, hmm, they say that crack is highly addictive. I wonder what would happen if I smoked it once. I wonder if I would really get addicted. I haven't thought about that. Are you crazy? No way. Now, why would somebody say, you know, God's been good to me. He's blessed me. I think I'm just going to walk away from God and see what would happen. I don't think anybody in their right mind would do that. Now, I think there are people that have been wounded and hurt. You know, there's a song that they play on the radio, and and, uh, you probably heard it if you listen to KSBJ, and, and it says, you know, I'm mad because I see all these injustices, and I'm like crying out, God, why don't you do something? And in the song, God tells the guy, why don't you do something? That's why I created you. You go do something. You see these injustices? You see people lost? You see all these ungodly things? Why don't you go do something about it? Are you praying for them? Are you reaching out? Are you sharing the love of Christ with them? Why don't you do something? And so God is saying, why don't we do something? We have a whole community of lost people around us. What are we doing? Are we sharing the love of Christ? Are we living a life that draws other people to Christ? I honestly don't know why anyone would ever walk away from God. I don't know why. I don't know how someone could do that. But apparently there are people that wander away because James says, you can be sure whoever brings that sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. If the Bible says that there's a possibility, then there must be a possibility of that happening, right? It says if someone walks away from God, if someone turns away from God, we just read in Hebrews 6, if someone turns away, well, then that must mean that someone can do that. Someone can renounce their faith. Listen, again, I want you to be prepared and equipped to help people because if someone says, well, you know, can I lose my salvation? if I, I got drunk again last night or I cheated on my spouse. or No, you can't lose your salvation, but you can walk away from God. You can wander so far off the path. That, that you can be lost. Let me help get you back. You can make a decision to renounce your faith. And again, guys, I, don't, I think that's atypical. I think that's an anomaly that that happens. But I want you to know the truth. I, know, I want you to know the Word of God, what it says. Listen, if we just stay connected with Him, we won't ever have to worry about that, right? So just stay connected with Him. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, you can receive the free gift of salvation. What is your decision? 2,000 years ago, they reject many, many, not all, but many rejected Christ. Today, we share the love of Christ with people, and people still reject Him. If you're here this morning and God is tugging on your heart, maybe you had a relationship with the Lord at one point in time, but have walked away. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Him, and He's speaking to your heart this morning. Would you simply respond by slipping up your hand? I want to pray with you. There is no shame in that. God desires to have a great relationship with you. He wants you to walk in the freshness. Anyone else? All right. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I'd like for you to just pray this prayer. This is from your heart. And... God, God's going to hear you. And just repeat this prayer. You can repeat it quietly or, or out loud. In fact, let's all just say it. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I repent of my sins. All of my sins. I ask your forgiveness. And I receive your forgiveness. And I walk in the freshness and the newness of being set free from all that stuff I take all my shame all my guilt all my failings all my sin past, present future and leave them at the cross your word says that it's a completed work and I receive it I believe it and I thank you Lord for setting me free from all this sin. I receive your grace, your mercy, and your love, and today is a new day. All that old stuff is gone, and I'm free. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want to pray another prayer for this lady that responded lord god i pray that you would fill her with the fire and the power of your holy spirit god that she would experience you in fresh new ways that she would hear your small still voice speaking to her heart god and that you would open her eyes as she reads the word of god as she listens to you as she hears your holy spirit that you would just pour into her in a powerful way And that there will be mighty changes that will be on the exterior because of what you've done in her heart, Lord God. So, Father, I thank you for this lady being bold enough to say, I'm giving my life to you today. And, Father, we pray that there will be tremendous things that we will see you do through her life. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. salvation. It's an important biblical truth, and uh, I, I pray that you're getting equipped, that you're having a greater understanding of what salvation really means, that God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and that you're able to explain that to others as they come across your path, and they're wondering, what is this whole thing about? Is it about religion? And you can tell them, no, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Christ, and let me talk to you about that. Will you go out and make a difference this week? It's a choice that you make. God's going to bring all kinds of people across your path. So go out and make a difference. I love you. God bless you. And uh, live it. Be here on Wednesday at 7 for Bible study. If you want prayer, there will be a couple of people up here. You don't have to navigate through challenges alone. I love you. You're dismissed.